Dior Talks. I really want to celebrate the creativity of the women, but all the creativity. It's another way to give voice to the artists that I like. Only in this way you can move in the future and then you have a conversation with a new generation of women. I'm so excited to say that this episode of Dior Talks Feminist Art interviews the incredible singer, songwriter, artist and performer, Joanna Gika. One of the most exciting voices of this generation, known for her captivating music, which feels at once entrancing, modern, intimate and powerful, Gika took the stage of the historic, marble-clad Panathenaic Stadium in Athens and performed live for Dior's Cruise Collection 2022. Based in Los Angeles but Greek in heritage, Gika's connection to her motherland is strong. Composing albums out here and referencing her heritage and Greek culture, it couldn't be more fitting that Gika's music coincided with Maria Grazia Curie's vision for this cruise collection. Draped in dresses and accompanied by sportswear pieces, like Gika's music, which marries tradition with the contemporary, Maria Grazia's collection also embodied the dialogue between past and contemporary. In this episode, we discuss Ioana's connection with Dior, her Greek ancestry, what it was like performing for Dior, and how clothing can shape our artistic identities. My name is Katie Hessel. I'm an art historian and curator from London, and I run the Great Woman Artist Instagram account. And today, I am so delighted to be speaking to Ioana the morning after last night's resort show. Joanna, it's so fantastic to meet you properly. And just firstly, congratulations on last night. I was watching it via a screen from London, but I could just feel the electricity. I mean, just the whole show, your performance, the setting, the backdrop, the atmosphere. It was electrifying. So I'd love to start off by first asking you, I mean, how was your experience performing at the Dior Resort Show last night? Um, Well, first of all, thank you so much. Um, It's interesting that you used the word, I think you just said electrifying. When the first note rung out, it was like a thermionic current, which I felt was connecting me to something. I felt connected to the past in a way. And it was so unique for me because I've done uh, concerts and festivals and tours, and um, I've been fortunate enough to play things like Coachella. This was unlike anything I've ever done it felt, uh, I felt almost an extreme grounded feeling, which was not what I was anticipating. I was anticipating being quite nervous or the whole thing is just so majestic and beautiful that I thought perhaps I'll be super overwhelmed. But for some reason, at the very beginning of the show, I felt quite grounded. And I tried just very much to, in that moment, appreciate how meaningful it was for me to have this experience and be a part of what ended up being, I thought, a beautiful presentation. I I, I loved so many things about it. Yeah, I mean, it almost felt quite operatic. There was something so, I mean, so modern about it, but so kind of rooted in the ancient. I mean, just those shots of the Panathenaic Stadium were just the energy from them, I mean, was just, you could feel it from here. But I mean, the show was held in the Panathenaic Stadium. I mean, 
Can you tell us about a, a bit about the cultural significance of this place and what it was like performing here? Yeah, so basically it's called the Panathenaic Stadium. It's also known as Kali Marmara, which means beautiful marble or good marble. The word stadium comes from, and I'm going to sound like my uh, late father because <laughs> he was always about, oh, ah, did you know this yes. word comes from the Greek word? <laughs> but the word stadium comes from the ancient Greek word stadion, which was actually a unit of measurement. I think the track is something like 600 or 607 or 10 feet long. So that's about the same as one quote unquote stadion. It started as a natural stadium space about maybe 600 years BC and then rebuilt again, 144 years BC, I think. It hosted the first modern Olympics. Wow. And Back in the day, the first celebrations were also ones in which women could attend when they were celebrating Athena. And then when, when they decided it would host the first modern Olympic Games, they began a reconstruction. That's when the marble came in. And it had to happen very quickly. I think they had to have it done in like 11 months, under a year, something like that. So I was thinking a lot about how it was built a space for racing and then I was thinking about how they also had to become in a race. They had to race against time to complete the stadium. Yeah. And also in the context of the human race, I've been thinking about that term because I find it to be kind of unusual. Now we might say something more like human community or just humans in general. But yeah. after what we've all been through, which is this enormous life-changing event of a pandemic and what it means to to race or to pass a baton or to help one another to keep going to have this in the stadium felt like it was connecting something it was connecting something in my mind Greece is a place of many firsts not every first but it's a place of many firsts and I love that um Maria Grazia Ciori chose this location for this collection because as we are now entering into a new normal, a new reality, having gone through this whole thing, and now we have some of the very first fashion shows, presentations, art being expressed again in a public way. To have it in this location, which was a first of many things, the Olympics, etc., it felt like a real celebration that was connecting past and present and hopefully future. So to me, the location, it felt really special in that way. Yeah, I love this idea of kind of regeneration as well. You know, it's like the kind of birth of something. Yes. But I mean, it's I'm fascinated by you as a person, kind of you performing at this such kind of culturally significant timely significant event because you live in Los Angeles but you are Greek in heritage and you spent four months of every year living in Greece in your childhood I mean can you talk to us about what it was like coming back to Greece to perform and what did that mean to you as a person and, and you as a as a human and your background and your history I felt painfully grateful yeah <laughs> I, I don't know if there's a word that can encapsulate yeah. that but it was almost like a physical pain of gratitude because I felt it so deeply. Whenever I land in Greece, I feel this intense frequency, almost as if it's coming from an abyss 
that just reverberates. And so I felt immensely grateful to be in the nation of my heritage and on grounds walked on by my ancestors for centuries. It, I don't cry a lot as a human, but I found myself crying very often <laughs> the past yeah. week. And I, I had to sort of promise the musical directors, I'm like, I promise this won't happen <laughs> during the performance. It's, it's about, you know, the whole presentation. It's not about me, but just internally, I just couldn't believe it. I still can't quite wrap my head around the fact that um, this happened. I'm like genuinely immensely grateful for, for this experience. Yeah, I mean, what was amazing is the fact that it wasn't probably, I mean, I can imagine for you just the physical look of it, you know, it's this incredible kind of circular stadium and then you're kind of almost at the heart of it. And I can imagine kind of Greece is at that kind of core for you. It's kind of, you know, you feel so internal, I can imagine. Definitely. I didn't know how the show would be when they first approached me. They described the location and they didn't describe necessarily at first the entirety of my role in it, um, just that they would invited me, they would love for me to perform. But when I was imagining the space, the way that they helped me or enabled me or allowed me to interact with the space was beyond my wildest imagination and very much uh, really spoke to my spirit um, super on brand for me. I mean, I, I, I was, uh, <laughs> it's amazing. I was, uh, I was also extraordinarily relieved. I didn't sort of tumble down the steps, which, um, we, we practiced many times, but you know, in that descent of something like a hundred marble steps, yeah, it really lost. enabled me over the course of several days of rehearsals to think about those steps, the steps that my ancestors took the steps it took to get me here, the steps we've all had to take as a civilization, not just over the course of centuries, but over the course of the last year. I've just been reflecting a lot about the last year, everything that, that everyone has, has had to go to, and that we've all been in different iterations. Of course, everyone's had a different experience, but sort of going through a global situation and how that, for better or worse, connects everyone. But trying to see the, the positives of how we're all connected from this. So, yeah, as you can tell, it's made me very <laughs> emotional and reflective on, on this experience. No, but I think it's so understandable as well. And I think I'm just, you know, you've, you've made me think of the kind of cultural significance of stadiums and they are places of coming together and communion and, and uniting nations. And, yes. you know, bringing the best to the world stage. I mean, you know, that's a that's a sort of cultural performance that is ingrained in our culture for thousands of years. Yes, yes, it's true. It's almost like an illustration to to the universe. This is what humans this is like at our core what we do. We we connect, we gather. Yes. So in a year where we were not able to connect and gather, to be in that stadium, as you mentioned, I think I think that's a beautiful point. It's a communion of a lot of people, a community. Yeah. But I have to ask you about the dress that you are wearing because you oh, just yes. looked, <laughs> I mean, just beyond stunning. I mean, you know, I thought you, you looked some kind of, you look like some kind of Greek goddess, but also like also quite futuristic. I mean, it was just, I mean, you look just the embodiment of a kind of Greek goddess, I have to say. I mean, tell us about the dress you're wearing and, and how did it speak to your Greek heritage and also your life now? Well, 
First of all, thank you so much. That's very kind of you. I love the intersection of ancient and future. So to me, that dress did embody that cross-section. And when I saw it for the first time, my jaw actually hit the floor. I had to get a spatula, scrape it up, put it back in my face because I am... It, not to say that I'm like picky, but you know, you know, when something resonates with you and it connects with you immediately, yeah. yeah. You walk into a shop or you see something somewhere, and it's like, ah, that's the piece, of course. And to have that from the very first second of seeing it was um, so wonderful. So my dress incorporated, as I'm, I'm sure you saw, it incorporated a spiderweb pattern woven from tulle a long mesh of gray extending from a black harness with a gold spider woman perched in the middle. This connected me with Arachne, the protagonist in a Greek mythological tale, also told by the Roman poet Ovid in his work Metamorphosis, which I thought was a nice tie also to Maria Grazia Ciuri's heritage. Yes. And the myth of Arachne... um, as I'm sure you know, centered on her extraordinary weaving talents and the degree to which her skills threaten the gods. And so when Athena heard of Arachne's uh, confidence and talents, she descended, challenging Arachne to a weaving duel, a weave-off, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The tapestries they wove were these philosophical statements, almost like passive-aggressive philosophical statements, but Uh, Athena's weaving depicted gods punishing humans who thought themselves equal to gods, and Arachne's weaving illustrated the ways in which the gods were not perfect. They misbehaved, they acted from ego, they were even abusive in the ways they mistreated women. So in a way, Arachne was punished for hubris, she was turned into a spider. But to me, Arachne gets the last laugh because Spiderweb silk is actually stronger and tougher than steel. And ultimately, spiders can see what we cannot. So I like that, you know, this this was meant to be a punishment. And actually, I feel that she was victorious in a way at the end. Yeah, that's such a beautiful way of putting it. And your hair as well was just coiled like a sort of Greek marble statue or something. (laughs) Oh, thank you. The the hair team was local and Greek. Another thing I really appreciated about the way the whole production was laid out, there was a lot of incorporation of Greek artisans, Greek makeup team, Greek hair team. And that to me showed a lot of caring and again, that sense of community weaving into the whole production in all sorts of different facets. And so they, I thought they did a, a wonderful job with, um, with helping put the entire look together. And I thought they were great. Yeah, I love the fact that Maria Grazia Shuri always kind of, you know, delves into these communities and works with like the most incredible artisans, musicians, ever, like performers. And it just becomes this culmination of the culture as well as obviously Dior of the world stage, but it's such a sort of communion and collaboration between people. Yes, I absolutely agree. And that's one of the things that I greatly respect about her as this was leading up to the show. And online, she's, she's talking about going to various islands, going into the museums, really taking time to understand not just 
for the sake of it, but a, it seems that she has a real interest and passion for understanding and wanting to learn and wanting to listen. That to me, I could tell from the details in the show, the details in my dress, the details in the music, the orchestration. It was a completely Greek orchestra. Wow. She has a depth. It's not just a superficial skimming of the surface. She really seemed to dive in. That to me is the mark of someone who is interested and yeah, just has has a depth to them. And I think that comes through with the clothing. Symbolism is woven in, care is woven in, respect is woven in. And so these clothes to me are both extremely elegant and beautiful, but not in a way meant to alienate people, yeah. in a way to create a communication. That to me is one of the poetic and beautiful things about both uh, Maria Grazia and the collection. Yeah. I mean, how do you think that the collection, I mean, first of all, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well, but how do you find, how did you find the collection spoke to the long history of Greece and Greek mythology? I mean, I was so interested in this kind of these mythological figures who Maria Grazia referenced, like the Minonian civilization, the mother goddess, the snake goddess. Yeah. I liked how she referenced old gods and new. There are certain gods and goddesses that we don't know a lot about other than that they are prehistoric. For example, Thalassa, the ancient, that means sea in Greek, also the ancient goddess of the sea. These were multidimensional gods. They weren't necessarily perfect the way in um, certain religions today, it's thought that God is this like pure, perfect, yeah. do no wrong entity. But they were more like humans, and humans are humans. And so to have something beautiful, elegant, connect us to something that's like a higher power, but also embrace the fact that we are women who are working or have families. I liked very much that she paired sneakers with gowns. That's yeah. very me. I, I'm, I never wear stilettos. Um, I mean, I'm, I wish I could pull them off, but for me, it's great to have that kind of like, I can feel active. Even mm. in the dress that I wore, it was very much her. She really wanted to make sure and prioritize that I felt comfortable and grounded in the dress. And I truly did. It was a very long dress, but the front, I had access to my feet. I could breathe. I could move. And the first thing I did when I put on the dress was put my arms way up in the air to see how I can stretch and exist and sing. Nothing was constricted or awkward. It was meant to be lived in and to feel good in. And I felt that that um, came through with the collection. Yeah. And I mean, you always look so spectacular whenever you perform or in your music videos. I feel, I feel like, I mean, I don't know, but clothes clearly play a large role in your life. I mean, how do you use them to kind of craft your artistic identity? How do you think that what you're wearing kind of corresponds to the music that you are performing and putting out into the world? Clothing to me is an extension of the self, of language. It's its own form of communication. So when I put something on 
sometimes it's to articulate or connect to someone to say something of an experience I've had or something that speaks to my spirit. I'm very drawn to the color blue right now. I feel connected to the blue of the Mediterranean, the blue of the Greek flag. I, I paint my um, nails blue and I extend the paint beyond my knuckles. Something about it feels like a wave. I, I think these things all sort of come from maybe a subconscious, but when I reflect on it, I feel like it's something I'm wanting to articulate or connect with. Yeah, I mean, the color blue is so charged, I mean, just in history, but I don't know, there, there's so much there. And in terms of, like, you know, the history of lapis lazuli, but also oh, yeah. the way that artists have incorporated blue, Yves Klein, Picasso. I mean, it's, it's such a sort of symbolic color. <laughs> yes, and um, yeah, it's funny. I was, I was thinking about Yves Klein just the other day. It's interesting to me that that shade in particular, people throughout history, I think, yeah, it's almost definitive but can be mysterious at the same time. Blue yes. can indicate something quite haunting or deep, um, even nebulous at times. And yet it feels to me like a, a definitive moment. And nowadays, because I'm trying to think what other colors have that effect. I know that there's been a very, I find, amusing controversy with the pigment Vanta Black. I don't know if you... Yeah, uh, and the and the uh, kind of artist uh, duel and the concept of copyright when it comes to pigments and how that feeling of ownership—it's just very interesting to observe humans in in that way. That feeling of ownership must come from something with the ego, the identity, the definition. So even though I'm not trying to, it's not my desire to copyright a color blue, I, I you know, because I'm not, you know, I, I think it's also problematic when, when yes. you know, people try to sort of gatekeep something like that. But it's a very human thing to feel very identified by something or like defined by something. So for me, this particular shade of blue has been um, coming up. It's sort of a, almost like a metallic blue that the one that I'm, that I connect to these days. But, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, it's such a sort of fascinating color in the sense that it's not really a kind of natural pigment as well. It's, you know, you don't often find flowers that are blue or you don't often find foods that are blue, but yet we are surrounded by the sea that actually isn't blue, but it appears blue. It's right. It's, yes. Yeah. In the sky. Yeah. These <laughs> yeah, kind of like, yeah. it's like this refraction. <laughs> yeah. It's a suggestion yes. almost, which is uh, fascinating. And perhaps that's why maybe on a, psychological level we seek to capture the ephemeral or the yeah the temporary because as you mentioned these things that seem blue are not necessarily it's rare in nature to to see blue yeah and it never is the same yeah you're right it's never the same even a blueberry it's like okay it's called a blueberry but it's kind <laughs> of more of a dusty dark grayish purplish yeah you know there, it's so yeah it's rare yeah, no, I, I love that. I've, I've been thinking about blue a lot. But I want to get into your your Greek heritage, because I know that you lived throughout North America. And I know that in an interview, you said, as a result of living in these different places and of touring, my definition of home is not defined by houses. But I'd love to start by asking you about your childhood in Greece. I mean, what does this country mean to you? What was it like visiting this place, you know, for four months every year? 
when I would be in Greece as a child, it was as if I was entering into a technicolor world for all the senses. Wow. The turquoise of the Aegean, the sweetness of tomatoes, the chorus of cicadas, everything felt saturated. The structures aren't just old, they're ancient. Everything felt deeply real to the point where like if I heard an American accent in Greece, it felt grating. I just like <laughs> <laughs> everything felt so magically charged um, as a contrast to the United States. And of course, the United States has many wonderful things about it. But when I was in Greece, I just felt as a child so alive. And I got to be with my family and my cousins and it was extreme heat. It was extreme love. It was extreme laughter. And so it was a bit bittersweet. There was a sort of painful nostalgia coming back for this performance or anytime I come back now that my father's passed away and my stepfather's passed away and my grandparents. I mean, I've, I've, I've lost a lot of family members, but I'm still so infused with their memory that, you know, on the day of the show, there was a lot happening technical things that needed to be sorted out, a lot of running around. And at one point I thought, okay, I'm going to just think about how incredible this is. I was standing at the top of these marble steps at one point as we were about to do a rehearsal. And, you know, there's with any show, there's a lot of stress or running around or things to, to think about, to consider, to prepare. When my father died, I was... In, in the moments after I found out, I was sort of like aching for a sign of some sort. And I was like, please, you know, whomever or whatever you are in the universe, I would really love to see a sign of something, of an energy, of anything. And in that moment, it was a completely blue sky where I was in that moment. And it was as if someone took a paintbrush and painted a small rainbow in the sky. And it brought me so much comfort in that moment. Um, and yesterday when I was at the top of these stairs and just trying to like focus and prepare, I thought, oh my gosh, this is so magnificent. I'm so grateful to be here. I wonder if any of my ancestors had anything to do with making this <laughs> oh possible. It's a magnet to the energy of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Or like as if my ancestors are like, you know, agents that, you know, or something like that, or managers. <laughs> I was like, has it, you know, if, if whoever is out there, thank you so much. And in that moment, it was a completely sunny day in Greece. There was suddenly a rainbow. I took a photo of no. it. No. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm literally getting chills. <laughs> I, I, in the moment I did too. And I just was, um, I was quite speechless. Yeah. Sorry. I've even forgotten what we, what the question was, but, um, that, yeah, the day and evening were, were quite magical. Yeah. I mean, I love your album, uh, Thalassa and the fact that you, I know that you wrote that album in Greece and then performed some of the songs at the show. I mean, just to hear that, it, I mean, it must've been incredible to have that such, I mean, I can imagine writing an album as such a strenuous, painful, but amazing. And just, you give everything, you know, it's, it's your, it's your life. It's your art. It's the, an extension of you. I mean, how was it then performing those songs that you had written in Greece from Thalassa at that point? I was, and still am 
quite speechless <laughs> on the fact that that happened because as you mentioned, I wrote these songs in Greece. Rosie, it was written as a premonition I had. Um, sorry, not to sound insane, but it was no, like no, no, many, no. many years ago, actually, with that song in particular, which was the song that I performed during the fireworks. Yeah. And at one point, I, I sing in Greek, which means, oh my God. And so I don't think if anyone had told me at the time that these songs would be then performed in Greece under these extraordinary circumstances. I just wouldn't believe it. I still don't fully believe it, but it felt meaningful to deliver these messages in the place where I wrote them, where I was quite heartbroken or yearning or coming to terms with loss. And now to gain this experience um, with a new perspective was, um, yeah, I was just very grateful. The first song I performed, so the intro as I descended down the staircase is a song called Thalassa, which is the name of the album. It was an instrumental version. And then when I arrived at the stage, I began to sing a portion of a brand new song, which this is the first time I've performed it or that it's been in public. And it was interesting because when I delivered them a selection of music for them to listen to and choose, it was very interesting that they chose the second verse of this song. Because in the second verse, I'm singing in Greek. And the second verse is a nod to Plato and something that he said, Aiotheos, Otheos, Yeometri. The spirits, the gods, God is in geometry. I, my personal interpretation is just that the spirit of the universe is in everything. It's a connective, invisible tissue that connects all of us with everything, with every living thing, with every inanimate thing, with every atom. Why I found it interesting that they chose that was not only because of that, because that to me also incorporates the weaving element, but also because that stadium existed at a time of Socrates and Plato, when it was in its natural state before the marble. So it just felt like another kind of point in the constellation of everything coming together. And I was really happy. I was delighted to be able to present that song. Yeah. And I mean, how was it sort of seeing, obviously you've lived across America and you are based in Los Angeles, but... How is it now to see Greece from this distance point of view? I mean, do you think that changes anything? Yes, I think in any place that I've lived in. You know, when you then take a step back and you observe it from a different vantage point, I think certain things become clear. Greece has gone through tremendous issues, and I won't dwell on them now, but I think or I feel or I hope that there's a sense of healing that will start yeah and how do you think you're kind of creating that sort of narrative or breaking from its past and kind of creating music for tomorrow I think it's important to not ignore the past so to marry both past and future yeah and realize that you know a tree has both leaves that are regenerating and then you see leaves that are dying it's part of the same structure it's part of the same 
natural architecture. I think sometimes in the West, there's an obsession with newness, youth, uh, just the tree looking perfect, bright. You know, you go into these outdoor shopping malls and everything is like full bloom. To, full bloom. <laughs> the music is coming out of faux boulders. I mean, it's like almost <laughs> creepy how everything's supposed to be perfect. It's but like I, synthetic. Yeah, exactly. But I think if we can recognize the tree as it is, then there is a realness, a beauty, a poetry, because it's all existing at the same time. So in the same way with music, I mean, it's a, it's a big task, but it's something I strive to do. I love to do it. I love to incorporate ancient instrumentation with future, futuristic sounding glitchy modern electronics. My new album definitely is incorporating certain old Greek instruments, ancient Greek instruments, like the aulos, the bazooki, with modern glitchy, yeah, I guess more futuristic sounds. And to marry the two is my, um, it's my goal. Where do you want to transport people with your music? That's a good question. I just want them to feel. I don't necessarily want to dictate how they feel, but I just hope that they feel something and what that is or where it takes them is up to them. But in the same way that if I walk past a beautiful woman in a hallway and I smell her perfume and it immediately takes me somewhere, that experience for me might be different to the next person she walks past in the hallway. But it does have, in the same way music, I think does have that capacity sometimes to connect something or to inspire a feeling so that's my that's my hope and I'd just love to before we end just to ask you about the show again and if you could just tell us were there any kind of favorite looks of yours or were there anything that really spoke to you that Maria Grazia made in the show well my dress (laughs) my dress I I will not take it off (laughs) it will have to be ripped (laughs) off of my body (laughs) Currently you having breakfast it. in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that we're speaking and you're wearing it. <laughs> um, so that to me was just a triumph. The spider, I don't know if you saw the detailing of the spider at the center of the har- harness. This woman who's the spider with pearl encrusted body wow. and then the legs reaching almost over my shoulders, these spindly legs. Oh my gosh. I just was blown away. And then, of course, the dresses in the collection I loved. There was one in particular that I thought was so fascinating because it appeared as if a goddess had come out of the water and the clothing had formed in places to her body, but had started to dry. That is the effect it gave me, which I thought was so beautiful and clever because it indicated transformation this almost as if okay this goddess was in the water now she's joined us on land and to see that almost as if metamorphosis was captured and metamorphosis in the same way with arachne as it pertained to my gown the sense of metamorphosis of change the way she changed into a spider and how all of us are changing and adapting into this new world. And we're always kind of having to change and adapt. I think women are incredible multitaskers. I feel like it captured that spirit of change, embracing it rather than being fearful of it. 
and our multi multifaceted identities as well. I mean, th I think that's what she does so well as she creates the every woman and there's so many individuals within that. Yes, absolutely. Well, Ioana, thank you so much for speaking with me. Um, as this Dior Talks feminist art, we do always ask our guests, who is your feminist hero? My feminist hero, I have many, but as we are in Greece, I will say the Greek poet Sappho, also known yes. as the 10th Muse, she wrote at a time when women were basically ignored by male authors. She gave women a voice. She spoke of everyday life. She was proud of her daughter and she wrote about it at a time when it was you know, more profitable or uh, helpful to have sons. People wanted sons. She not only was proud of her daughter, she expressed it. She stood behind her. She spoke about women as a woman. And so today, right now, I feel like I'm very much uh, connecting to her and her legacy. Amazing. Joanna, thank you so much for coming on Dior Talks today. 